Welcome to the Brett Cowell Show. Creativity, leadership, and lifestyle. There's a maxim that says that if you want to achieve your goals, you should try to connect with someone who's already done what you want to do. I was fortunate to connect with Kelly, given he's so good at sharing knowledge, the opposite to what you might imagine in the movie industry, as well as getting some great tips on micro-budget filmmaking. I also liked his idea of pay yourself first when investing in your own creativity every day, and also empathy being a leadership superpower. Let's listen now to what he had to say. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Brett. It's my pleasure and uh, super excited to talk to you today. Um, we kind of connected because, you know, although LinkedIn can be horrible, uh, a lot of the time with getting spammed, uh, I was actually looking at micro-budget filmmaking on there and I was like, this guy is so interesting and he's got, we've got so much in common. Let's just have a conversation. I normally start off with like an icebreaker sort of fun thing. Maybe it's not fun, but I always ask the guests, how do you introduce yourself at a party when people ask who you are? I usually tell them that I'm the janitor of my day. <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like a lot of times we do that. I mean, I have staff that does a lot of things, but you know, sometimes I got to take out the garbage, you know, right. it's just the way it is. It's the way business. So, you know, I, I, you know, I think, um, I, I like the, the term content creator, video maker, filmmaker, whatever, whatever you want to label me as. Uh, but I think if anything, I, I feel like I, I, I like storyteller. I mean, I, I, that's really what I do. I write books. Uh, I, I make movies, I write kids books, I do nonfiction. So I just like telling stories. Maybe talk a little bit about what led you to do what you're doing now. Well, you know, my, my journey started like a lot of filmmakers. You know, we, you have a dream of making a film, you want to make a film. But the, the big question is, like, how do you how do you go about that? There's no you know, it's not like you're trying to become a lawyer or a doctor. There's not a career path that you can follow that will will help you get to you know, your destination. So getting into this career, you find out quickly that it's really about just kind of trial and error. And, and you have to kind of find your way through the darkness of things. And one journey will be different from another person's journey. And it's always interesting to see how people, you know, kind of come together. Now, I think it's different if you say, you know, I want to go into this filmmaking process to be a, a camera person. But my journey started off like anybody else. I wanted to make movies. And I, I didn't want to be a, a technician, Not nothing against those jobs, but I just wanted to I wanted to write and direct movies. And so as a result of that, um, nobody's going to give you that job. So I had to raise money. I had to go out and make my own films. And eventually I figured out like how I could you know, be helpful for other people and, and, and other uh, filmmakers and other businesses really using my skills as a filmmaker. I, I think if you looked at some of the uh, director's stories out there before film directors, you could go, oh, look, they went to USC film school, et cetera. You know, there's kind of that whole tranche of, of people doing that. But your path is, is different from that. And I think you wear that as a, as a badge of pride and, and a source of kind of knowledge that you share with people. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, it's expensive going to college to begin with. And, and some of these film programs are, are not only are they highly competitive to get into, but they're extremely expensive. So if you don't have the, the the finances to do that, I mean, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever you have available to you. So in my case, I had my local university, I had my my local junior college, and it was really just a matter of me connecting with people and networking. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what you're paying for. You're paying for those connections. So if you're at a USC or a CalArts or one of these big film schools on the West Coast or in New York, you're paying for those, those instructors and their co connections. So when you get out of that program, 
they're able to maybe write you a letter of recommendation or get you onto a crew or this or that or get you into the, into the uh, director's guild. So I feel like that's really what that's about. But for me, I just didn't have that. So yeah, I had to I had to kind of take my other my my low budget approach to college, if you would. Just talking about locations. I haven't. Where are you actually located at the moment for the for the listeners and viewers? So I am speaking from Las Vegas, Nevada. I know it doesn't look like Las Vegas back there. We have a little studio here in town called the Indie Film Factory, and uh, we're located about five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Now that was an important. Uh, that's great. Well, I, I believe there's a Formula One going to be on there uh, later this year. So, you know, it's funny. A lot of Europeans and, and people like Australia, they love Formula One. In America, it's a relatively new thing for us, especially here in Las Vegas. But I'm excited about it. I mean, they're going to turn the strip into a speedway. I mean, it's already a, a speedway for, for the people that live here. So <laughs> it kind of maintained in a, in a professional, safe environment. So I'm excited. Right. I'll have to block that out in you, for your soundstage as well. Maybe just talk about did you ever think at the start or now about the need to move to LA or New York? And then what have you found um, staying local that's been kind of beneficial to you? Yeah, great question. So yes, I, I of course, like any anybody else, you know, you, oh, I'm going to go to LA and try my hat, you know, at Hollywood. Um, but you realize quickly that you're just a little fish in a giant pond and it's expensive and it's very difficult. Um, what I feel that has been, you know, I think 30 years ago, if I were getting into this business, it'd be a lot different because I think technology and just the way we communicate has changed dramatically. So I feel like I kind of came at the right time. But I mean, nowadays, I mean, it's a, it's almost a joke. Like you're going to go to Hollywood, you're going to go to New York to make movies. Like why? You can make them in Idaho. You can make them in Fargo, North Dakota. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I, I, I think, but, but, you know, 30 years ago, and when I got, when I first got going, that was kind of the way it was. If you wanted to make films, you, you wanted to go to LA. Um, so I feel that, uh, I feel like I, I, I always encourage people to try it. It's always a good experience, but it wasn't really for me. I tried to go to LA. I lived in the Bay Area for just a minute, uh, San Francisco area. Honestly, it, it, it's, it was expensive. I came back to my little dusty desert town and I was able to kind of forge a plan that would allow me to kind of create my films. And then people left me alone. And what was great about the time in Las Vegas when I first started is that nobody knew what this was. So when you were saying, hey, I'm making a movie, that was exciting stuff. And people got really fired up about it. I think, you know, these days there's more and more people from California moving here. So I think it's not as, you know, it's not as nuanced. But back in those days, it was very exciting for people to hear, oh, they're making a movie. Yeah, I want to be a part of it. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like you had a lot more community support uh, back in the day. I mean, you still have it here, but I would say uh, definitely a little less than it used to be. Uh, but I think filming outside of those hubs gives you kind of that, it gives you that um, ability to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. And in some cases, that's all you need to get points on the board. Because you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about creating content and showing people that you know how to use a camera, tell a story and all that good stuff. Let's get into micro budget filmmaking and, uh, and just talk about you know, what is that in terms of the equipment, the crew, the, the finances, and how does that differ from, uh, from traditional Hollywood filmmaking? Yeah, thanks. That was a great question. Um, you know, I, for me, I think micro budget filmmaking is really about development um, more than anything else, because, yes, all of those other factors, equipment, crew, uh, locations, all that stuff is going to be a derivative of how you develop your film. So for me, micro budget filmmaking starts with development and it's really understanding the economy of scale. At the end of the day, you still have to tell a really good story that people actually want to watch. And I think the trick is to find stories and themes that you can do for a smaller budget uh, that will not you know not require you to have 50 actor you know extras or actors or tons of locations and things like that i think that's really what, what hurts a lot of productions when they're first starting out 
And of course, you know, talent, you know, talent's expensive. I mean, if you're going to get quality talent, you're going to have a situation where you're going to want to find people that um, have had some level of experience. And, you know, if you're working with local actors in some cases, it could be could be problematic. So obviously, you know, it, the less amount of cast count you have allows you to focus on where it matters. So it's easier to make a, a, a really good performance with two actors and pay to bring them in or whatever than it would be to say, I've got 50, you know, 50 roles in this film, 50 character roles, and I've got to fill all these things up. That's pretty mm-hmm. expensive to do if you're bringing a lot of people in or, or you're you know, trying to find the right talent. So I feel like there's that, that kind of compromise that you make. And I think that it's also about location count. I mean, one of the biggest factors that destroy productions or make them go over budget is location moves. And location mm-hmm. moves are when you physically have to pick up and move your stuff from one location to the other so anytime we're writing or developing a film, that's the first thing I'm thinking about is like, how many times do I got to move my camera from point A to point B? I, I certainly can reflect on, on my, my journey and looking at, at other people when, you know, you spend a long time getting over that hurdle. And, you know, my message to people is always just get started in the easiest way that you can. Absolutely. And again, it's about getting points on the board. I mean, you know, it, I don't know how many times we've all met people that have talked about writing that script or they've got this mm-hmm. great screenplay, but they never do anything with it. And you're like, well, is it because they're unmotivated? Well, no, that's not the case. It's because they just, they don't know where to start. And if you're looking at something and right out of the gate, it's going to cost you $5 million to, to produce. Okay, that's $5 million. Well, last time I checked, if you don't have $5 million, $5 million is really hard to get from other people. So, unless, you know, and if you're going to ask a company or a studio to put money into that, there's this thing that has to happen. There's this whole mechanism that has to happen because they got to secure and protect their interest in it. So, you know, it's not it's not an easy situation for the first time filmmaker or even the person that's made five films to say, hey, I've got this really expensive script. So that's why I always feel like, you know, start where you can you can make the most pro- you know progress, which is creating these little tiny movies. And here's the great thing. I mean, like the movies that we make, uh, these are really small budget movies, but they're on the same platforms, the same shelves, the same thing as all the big studio films. We had a movie one time that came out. It became the number. Number one over Memorial Day weekend on Amazon Prime. And granted, it was a pandemic, so it was it was difficult to, to, to not win when you had all these eyeballs. But what was really funny was I remember going and logging in and seeing our little tiny movie at the top of our genre category next to these major, major films, like studio films. It cost tens of millions of dollars. And I thought to myself, wow, that's funny. You know, I mean, it's it's it just shows you how things have changed in the game. So you know, whether you're making a $10 million movie or a $10,000 movie, you know, at the end of the day, your your venues are still the same. So how do you tell a really outstanding $10,000 movie that could get you out there and, and, and at least, you, you know, make a name for yourself, 10,000, whatever. Just before we move, move off this at this point, other ways to get involved, because I know there'll be, uh, you know, we've got leaders uh, uh, and professionals working in all different fields that might actually want to be in the movie business, but don't have a script and they want to kind of get a taste and a look and feel of it. Um, in, in other ways, what are the, 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 those ways? Well, you know, uh, if you're, if you, depending on where you are in the, in the scheme of things in business, you know, filmmaking is, is a great way to, to do branded content. I mean, there's people that are, are using filmmaking as branded content pieces. Um, and I feel like the business sector, if you're, if you're a business entrepreneur who's looking to get into it, I feel like the first step would be, to, to go to the film markets, attend some of these, these film markets and see how film content is being sold and distributed. Um, I get excited, and, and, and I'm kind of different like this. I get excited about the business part of filmmaking. 
because I mean, I used to never really care too much about it. For me, it was like, oh, I want to get the the shots and all the funny, the creative stuff. But as I as I got older and I matured in my in my career, it's exciting to see some of the new technology that's coming in there. So I think as an investor, I think it's important to always look at where the trends are going. Go to the film markets, and you're gonna you're gonna get some inspiration. And you're probably gonna have just don't tell people you have money. That's the one thing. You just don't want to tell anybody that you have investment money because they will be like, hey, let me buy you a drink. You know, you'll be everybody's best friend. Well, just on that point, uh, it, it, seriously, it is if people do have money and they don't want to invest in movies, are there tips for, for those people to, to avoid kind of, you know, throwing your money away on a project that doesn't get made? Is there any, yeah, any thoughts well, on how to do that successfully, even just for fun and for a, a small investment in, in a movie? Regardless if it's $10 or $100,000, it, it's all the same, right? I think that the point is you're, you're looking at the integrity of the people that you're working with. And I think, in, uh, you know, in filmmaking, um, you know, you tend to have um, people that are creative people. And, and in a lot of cases, they don't look at the business side of it. I think one of the things is to check the values of the filmmakers that you're looking to work with to see if it's something that's a good fit. Do they fit your values? You know, mm -hmm. and the other thing is, Anytime you're going to invest in anything, you should always be talking about distribution first before anything else, because that's the fuel that drives the, the economy of the project. I mean, unless you're just like, I want to give money away because I need a tax write off. And there are investors that do that as well. But the trick is, I think if you're looking at it to get your money back, like an ROI, always start with distribution. And th those are the questions to ask the filmmaker. What are you going to do for distribution? Do you have a distribution plan? Do you have a marketing plan? Who are you talking to? Who's your demographic? Who's your audience? All of these things are, I think, viable questions that you would be, you should be asking before you start cutting checks and, and writing checks to people. And also their business structure. I mean, you know, you're not going to just write a check to some random person. You know, how is their business set up? I mean, anytime you invest in a, in a film, that money should be in a uh, some type of an escrow account or something like that that can that a certified accountant or somebody who is a professional. Uh, money management person would be able to, to maintain that. And if the producer um, has those things set up and they have a distribution plan, then they're a lot, they're a lot further ahead than most people in this game. I want to talk about more generally about creative leadership. Um, you know, there's creativity and leadership and you kind of put these together. What, what makes creative leaders different and what can other leaders learn from it? I guess is the, is the, uh, is the question that, well, I think as a creative person, we tend to be a little bit more emotional. You know, we're not as, you know, you know, uh, what is the right left side of the brain or whatever you call it, you know, but I feel like for myself, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I have a really strong sense of emotional intelligence with the people that I work with. And I think that's important. And you, I think you develop that as a creative person, uh, especially as a filmmaker, as a director, because I've got to get into the minds of my, my performers and, and, and people. So it, it's important for me to kind of read the room. I do a lot of reading of the room, and I think that helps me. Uh, and my leadership style, because I can I can sense when things aren't working for my team. And you can before they even say anything, you can sense it. And and you get that. I think you get that intuition uh, by just having that that, you know, kind of emotional intelligence about, you know, about what you're doing. And I think as a creative person, I think that one of the things that you always want to remind yourself is how do you feel when you're given a task? You know, it, whether it be a client or a distributor or something like that, how do you feel and how do you respond to feedback? How do you respond to uh, criticism? How do you respond to direction? And it's about understanding those things and be able to give other creative people, because that's what you're essentially doing. You're leading other creative people in, the, in this endeavor is to give them not only the information that is useful to them, but articulating things in a way that helps maximize their empowerment. Because the worst thing you can have is a person who feels that they're not 
you know, being empowered with their creativity, especially in a creative field. You know, if this was an accounting firm, I think it'd be a little bit different. We're kind of at a time with economic uncertainty at the moment. And I read a book uh, over the, the, the holiday break called Yes to the Mess, and it's about kind of leadership lessons from jazz bands and jazz leaders. <laughs> and, and what I thought was quite interesting is you know, using some of the terminology like, um, you know, jamming, which has kind of come in a little bit to the business world and, and comping or accompanying someone, you know, in, in this kind of uh, idea and also the idea of kind of just responding to other people in different ways and seeing how the ideas are coming out and I, I thought I, I can get behind this a, a little bit I'm, I'm not sure that every CEO is going to have Miles Davis up on their, their <laughs> thing so I think that there's something there particularly at the moment the old school of leadership was you know I, ma I made a plan it comes down from the top and everybody must obey but I'm not sure that that still works in the in the current environment we're in. Well, you know, there are there is a certain degree where I put on my dictator hat. I mean, you just have mm -hmm. to when you're making a film, because at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. I mean, like when you're directing movies, one of the worst thing you can ever do is tell your actor to do something a certain way, because then they become actorish and it looks like a terrible performance. So usually what you're constantly doing is trying to figure out ways to trick them into feeling the way you want them to act, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And that that's really the, the goal of any director without, you know, hey, could you do it like this? But there's always those times where you run into it and go, okay, could you just pick up the, the damn cup and drink it? You know, and it's like, just do that. You know, like just need the shot of you drinking from the cup, you know, and there are those moments where you have to, I think, be assertive and, and be more pragmatic on that, on that approach. But I think when it boils down to it, your goal is always to try to get people to find their, find the solution within themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's always a trick. And I think that, you know, yeah, I mean, the stick and the carrot, uh, I guess, what do they call it? The stick and the carrot approach, it doesn't really work, I think, in, in our industry as much as it used to. Um, I, I do know some filmmakers that are very much opposed to democracy on their film sets. You know, they, they like to have the way they want it. They're, you know, because they're screenwriters and they're very technical driven. And I think under those conditions, if it's a technical scene where it's a green screen or some kind of crazy thing, there may have to be some elements of, of okay, guys, this is the plan. And we have to stick to it, you know. You've got a screenwriter saying, you know, I wrote it this way, just do it this way, stick exactly, say every word as it's written on the page. And it might be the same, someone coming up with a strategy or some sort of action plan for the team and say, just go and execute this, day, you know, and, right. and I want it to be exactly the way. Well, is that really what you want? Do you want people to just do exactly what you've said all the time? Some of the time you might want that, as you said. But. Yeah, yeah, well, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm not an actor, you know, and if I'm going to sit there and tell an actor, hey, would you do it a little bit more like this? And, eh, you know, whatever you're doing, I mean, chances are they're going to, because the, the nature of an actor, and I'm using actors as an example, because that's who I work most closely with in my job, is is you're, if you're working with an actor and, and you tell them to physically do something, chances are they're going to want to go out of their way to impress you because their instinct is they want to make the director happy. They want to make the producer and director happy. So they're going to do, they're going to emulate you. And that's terrible. You don't want them to emulate you, you know? So you want to inspire them to find their way. And I, and I feel like even when I'm looking at an edit, you know, I can say to my editor and say, you know, I would probably have chose a different choice for this. I'm thinking this. But I'll ask them questions. And usually at the end of the day, they will find that solution. But when they do that, then it's, it's a different kind of energy. And, it's a, and it gives them, I think, a clearer understanding as opposed to do things this way. Do this this way. This is how it has to be done. Follow this template. Uh, you end up becoming a bit of a mechanical mechanism. And that doesn't always work well and translate well with audiences or, or, or customers. You're wearing a lot of different hats. I just... 
um, how, how do you plan and work out where to focus on each of those at any time and switch between them, switch different modes to, to kind of get that happening. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. No, I'm kidding. I, I, uh, I, I find that uh, I've, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard the, the expression, pay yourself first. Anytime you get a, a paycheck, pay yourself first, right? It's like, you know, business management or financial management 101. Well, I feel like it's the same thing with, with being creative, you know? So I feel like paying myself creatively is important. So one of the first things I do mm. after I get up and I work out and I do all my things in the morning is I carve out time for my writing. So, you know, and obviously I, I prioritize, okay, I've got a screenplay. Oh, I've got a book on filmmaking or I got a kid's book or whatever. I make sure I dedicate at least, you know, an hour of my day or 45 minutes if I can to, to just doing that for me. Because I know once my day starts, then I got to go to the movie theater to check the DCP. And I, I got so there's all these different things and that my day gets away from me. So I feel like that's how you kind of have to do that in, in terms of multitasking. And everybody's going to be different. You know, some people can't get up early. They're, they're, they like to work in the evening. So they, they enjoy being up late when all the kids and the you know, family goes to bed, you know, and that, that works too. But whatever it is, I think you just have to be systematic about it uh, and get into a routine and hold yourself accountable for not doing those things. And I can tell you, you know, when I'm traveling and I'm, I'm like getting up and going straight to the airport, I feel terrible because I feel like I haven't had any time to, to do, add some currency to what I'm doing creatively. And I think that that, it doesn't have to be a lot each day. It just needs to be a little bit each day. And over, over time, you end up going, wow, I got a book. Wow, I got a screenplay. All right, move on to the next thing. I mean, I think as humans, we're creative people, you know, and I think if you're not, I mean, we, we, we may say, oh, you know, I just got a government job. That's not creative. There's probably some level of human creativity that you've had to use, whether it's solving a problem or figuring out where the company, uh, you know, fundraiser is going to be held. I mean, there's, there's always something creative that you've done. But I'm sure everybody as humans, we all itch to do something and create. I mean, that's our that's our nature as human beings. So I feel like you deprive yourself of that if you're getting up. And the first thing you're doing is you're checking your emails. And you're into your day. And the next thing you know, you're, you're at a meeting. The next thing you know, it's already eight hours. You're exhausted. And by the time you get home, you feel like you just want to zone out and watch TV. And, and some people are like, well, that's me time. I don't know if that's me time. That's Netflix time because you're making the money watching all those shows. You're making people like me money watching those shows. Keep watching stuff. But my point is pay yourself first creatively by getting up and doing those things or setting some time up for what it is that you want to do, whether it's writing the your memoir or, or a poem or, you know, learning painting, music, playing to learn how to play guitar, whatever it is, just dedicate, commit to it and do it at least a small amount of time each day. doesn't need to be a lot. Again, just a little bit each day. It goes a long way. Compound interest. What is the right relationship to have, maybe through your own personal experience, to have with criticism and praise? How should you deal with it, process it or not? Yeah, well, look, you know, criticism sucks. I mean, who wants criticism, right? Like, I mean, you know, we all want praise. I mean, that's the reality mm -hmm. of it. But it's, but to me, it's become so inconsequential either way. You know, whether it's somebody telling me, oh, great job on your movie, or oh, we really loved your movie. Like, okay, great, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you connected. And it's the same thing when somebody says, you know what, that movie just was terrible, or I didn't like it. Because, you know, nobody understands wh what it takes to get to a certain place. They weren't there, they didn't experience it. You know, so you can look even big studio films. I mean, you can sit there and look mm -hmm. at a big studio film and say, oh, it's horrible. They have all this money. Why couldn't they have made it perfect for me? You know, uh, and there's so many variables that go into criticism. It's it's you know, you could walk into the best restaurant in the world. But if you 
you know, got water splashed on you from a cab driving by, you're probably going to be in a terrible mood and you're going to reflect that energy and whatever you do for the rest of the day. Right. Even though the meal was yeah. wasn't too bad, but you know what? It this day is terrible and everything's terrible. So I feel like criticism, you have to just kind of take it passively. You know, when I first got going, one of the worst thing I, I, I would do is like Google my name or something like that or read a review on IMDb or a review somewhere. I mean, it's terrible when you're making little movies. People compare you to the big studio films. So it's like, well, why don't you have these things? It's terrible. This is horrible. Who I, these low budget cheapskates. Why would they make these things? They should never make movies. And I even had like film reviewers, you know, write terrible things about our stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because it's not going to stop me doing what I do. I collect the checks each month from my distributor. Uh, this is how I set up my life. I do my best effort. I don't intentionally set out to do something terrible. And I would assume most people don't do that, you know. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, you just have to take it, you know, you know, and, and the same thing goes with the good stuff. Because, you know, if you start believing that, I mean, then, then you get into your head. Don't rest on your laurels. You know, if somebody says, oh, amazing. Well, OK, now I can hang up my hat and, and yeah. be out. Just do more of the same. I'll, I'll cut yeah, paste just, that into the next five things. Yeah, absolutely. I'll dial it in. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You know, so, you know, uh, uh, the, the lighting is different today than it was last week. And the actor was sick and not, you know. So all of those things mm. play into making a film. And with that, you just have to be prepared to just take it. It is what it is. Am I too old to do X, you know, film director, write, produce or, or whatever? You know, that, that's a question that people often often ask and people go, no, no it's never too late. But is it really <laughs> in practical well, terms? Here, here's a great here's a great thing to think about. It's really based on how what your fuss level is. So if you've got a low tolerance for fuss, you know, this is a fussy business. And so you got to be prepared for all of the fuss that goes with it. Mm. So I think to that extent, you just have to understand that, like, yes, there's a certain level of uh, tomfoolery and, and stuff that you got to deal with. But at the end of the day, if your body and your mind is still with it, why not? You know, why not give it a shot? You know, um, I, I feel that I, I know a person who's in his mid 70s and we still produce he's still running around producing TV shows for the networks and we have a great time. In fact, when we hang out, I know I'm always going to have I'm going to have really great food and we're going to enjoy really great wine. And, and he's such a he's such a renaissance person and he has no intention. He's already retired twice in his career. You know, and he's got several Emmys and awards and he's, he's he's created television networks. But at the end of the day, doesn't stop, has no intention to stop. So I feel like you have it, it's really just based on your energy level and, and what you foresee for yourself. You know, if you're grouchy about going to the grocery store and fussy about driving through traffic, probably probably be really, really having a hard time getting into the filmmaking game at this stage. People uh, are not prepared to, to be a, a beginner again uh, and learn uh, uh, and go through that frustration um, uh, of try, trying to deal with something, particularly if they've had a, uh, been successful in one career and then you're moving into doing something else that you're not an expert at and maybe nobody knows you <laughs> about it even or whatever. Well, I would say, why not? I mean, I, I, I'm learning 3D. I mean, I'm not a 3D animator. I'm learning 3D. Why am I learning 3D? Not because I want to become an, a, the next visual effects artist, but I'm learning it because I'm, it fascinates me what this technology can do and what opportunities it gives you for storytelling. And here's the thing. The second you say, oh, I'm good. I've learned everything. You're, you might as well start digging the trench, man. Like, it's, it's, it's pathetic to think that you have to stop learning because you've, you've hit a milestone. You know, and I find that every successful person that I know 
Like they're, as soon as they've conquered one hill, they're looking at another hill to conquer and they go into it like they're 14 years old all over again. And that's mm-hmm. what I think is the difference between people who are, you know, kind of in, the, in it for the long term versus people that are just kind of, you know, I'm good. I'm good. And I do know people like that, too. And there's nothing wrong with it. But I think you just have to understand, like, where who you are, and where you are. But I always say, why, why quit learning? Uh, because that's the only thing that's keeping you from dying in a lot of ways. Really, seriously. I agree com- completely. If you are starting later, how do you play catch up in the most effective way? How do you uh, catch up that other 20 years that could be practiced? Because obviously some, some people can do something for a long time and not be very good at it because they never learn and, and try other things. But if you are starting later and coming in and wanting to, to catch up, we've talked about the importance of having a learning uh, mindset, etc. But using filmmaking as an example, how do you catch up all of that time? Or is it just really a matter of doing film after film? Well, you know, I think it's, it's about, again, it's about putting in the work, but I mean, yes, uh, I know people that have started relatively late in the producing game. And the next thing you know, they're walking the red carpet at a film festival and you're like, how the heck did that happen? They only made one movie. So I feel like it's really about just the people you surround yourself with. I think that as you have gained experience in life being older, I think you start to realize like the kind of people that you want to, you know, emulate or be around. And I think that's a very important thing. I think when you first start out, you're you're kind of working with whoever you can get. And I think, you know, the the difference I, I think as you get older, and if you're you're older in your career and you want this as a second career, is look at playing it with long-term people, people that you can grow with over time, but people that are quality people and you can play long-term games, you know, and I I really don't feel like it's ever too late to get into anything. It's never too late to start saving money. It's never too late to stop smoking. It's never too late to stop working out or get a healthy diet. All those things can happen at any time. Yes, there are people that are going to be far ahead of you in those journeys, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't go on that journey for yourself. So I feel that, you know, I think it's about surrounding yourself. If you need to speed things up, surround yourself around quality people. You know, I read one of your um, many articles uh, and uh, just talking about, you know, as you said, the need to surround yourself with quality people versus, you know, you can kind of almost want to be a maverick and try and do everything yourself, which is a sure way to, to, to burn out. So, so what are the, the, the strengths and limitations of DIY and what does it really mean? Yeah, well, you know, do it yourself. I mean, it's about trying to wear every single hat because it, a lot of it stems from just being kind of a control freak, you know, in a lot of ways, a perfectionist and stuff like that. I, I get it. I mean, I'm kind of like that too in some cases. Like, it's just easier for me to take something and deal with it as opposed to trying to delegate it or whatever. But what I've started to learn over the years is that you rob yourself of another skill. And, and people don't realize how much of a skill it is to be able to delegate, delegate and direct people. You know, and I've learned that if I just take something and I run with it, my team isn't learning and I'm not learning how to communicate with my team. Instead, what I'm doing is I'm taking a shortcut to something. Yes, it's to solve the problem faster or whatever, but sometimes problems don't need to be solved fast. And it's important for you to let that process happen because at the end of it, you become stronger and the organization becomes stronger because you've allowed everybody to mature through that process, including yourself. When I left my corporate career, I was used to doing a lot of things myself as a specialist who's been doing a similar thing for many years and, you know, probably a control freak, et cetera, and I found it easier. So I like to think I'm com- completely reformed, but I realized the other day that, I, that, I, that I'm not <laughs> at all. And I really want to honestly learn how to do that because, you know, now I've moved over to do, um, you know, creative work a lot of the time and I'm still trying to do everything myself in this. But clearly I'm not the most talented person in all of these areas that I've just started working in. 
Well, you know, you learn. I mean, I'm learning 3D uh, right now. So my goal, my secret goal is to be able to pass some of this information off to my, my editing team or my editor or my other people that I work with on my films uh, so I can I can see how what they can come up with. You know, that's really my secret mission with all this anyways. And, and I just have a fun time doing it. Um, so I feel like anytime we can learn something, pass it on, it's going to be helpful. We learn from that. And, I, and I've learned a lot. I've learned I've learned how to delegate a lot better and, and relinquish some of those controls. Uh, and, and yeah, sometimes it's a messy process, but it's 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 a vital part of the growth process overall. Speaking of technology, there's something about AI, you know, artificial intelligence and generative AI for video and all this sort of stuff. And like, I, I, I feel like we're so much at the start of this that this this conversation could go like age badly quickly. But I think we've got a general sense of kind of what's on the table at the moment. You know, there's a lot of uh, potential in the technology. There's a lot of artists and creatives at the other side going, well, look, you've stolen our work to program this. It's not really computer generated. It's computer copied and modified to, to do this. So so let's kind of, to make that into a question really, um, you know, what's your take on, on AI now, the opportunities, threats? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's still very new, you know, in my lifetime. Uh, but I will say that I don't fear it as much as I think a lot of my contemporaries do. I feel like it's going to end up being another tool. I remember when video first came out, you know, and I remember like my first student films were like shot on 16 millimeter and Super 8. And I remember when video came out, it was such a pushback. And you had these old guards that were like, I'll never shoot on video. Like that's for news and that's for, you know, you know, home videos, you know, but look how far that's advanced. I mean, these days it's almost laughable if somebody asked you, what are you shooting your movie on? You know, unless it's like, what camera are you shooting with? So I think, it, I think it's changed. And I feel like you always have to use the technology. First off, technology is never going away. And AI is only going to get better. It's going to get better and better and better. You know, this green screen behind me, its days are numbered. I mean, I was just doing a, a, a tutorial the other day on this thing on After Effects and you, you don't even need a green screen. It can take out the environments without it. So the point being is that the technology is going to get better. It's going to continue to improve. The robots are going to figure out all of the solutions to the things that we've worked so hard to, to deal with. And we just have to be ready for that. And I think it's about understanding where we fit, not now, but where we fit into the future. How do we, how do we, how do we lend ourselves to the creative and human emotional? I think, first off, not in my lifetime, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't think there's going to be a day where AI can completely encapsulate the human emotion as good as a human being can because that's a lived experience and my experience is going to be different than your experience and and no matter just because we're two humans we don't share that same journey you know you grew up in a different place i grew up in a different place so i feel like those are going to always be relevant to the human experience and at least just storytelling i think is going to be a big part of it and i think in the meantime ai is going to get really good at faking it <clears throat> and most average people may not know but i mean trust me the day that i can hit type a screenplay, put it into the application and hit render. And I just sit back and watch the movie being made. I can buy the Brad Pitt plugin. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up because I hate C stands. I, I really hate C stands and sandbags and all that other. <laughs> so you've said before that, you know, f filmmaking is, is a lifestyle. Maybe say what you mean by that. And is it a good lifestyle? You know, I've made it a good lifestyle for myself. Uh, it hasn't been an easy lifestyle, but it's something that I've learned that is not like if you're getting into filmmaking is like, I I'm going to make money. I think there's a different path for that. There's a completely different path. 
Um, I think if you're going into it to tell stories, I feel like you just have to understand that this is an it's a marathon. It's an evolutionary uh, uh, experience. This isn't something that's going to happen in five years, 10 years. I mean, it could. It could happen in one year, six months. You could be you know, off to the races. But for most people, that's not the reality. And I think it's about being patient and understanding that you build this into your way of life. You know, um, I, I'm very blessed to have, you know, a, a spouse who has been supportive of me and she understands like, oh, this is how, you know, our world is. And we've built our world around those types of things. You know, I think it would be a lot different, uh, it, you know, if I had a different industry, if I was in a different kind of profession. But I feel for the most part, I, you know, li the lifestyle aspect is really, really what, is, what it is. It's, it's understanding what it takes to, to be a filmmaker. And you got to write every day. You have to learn, you have to stay abreast of the technology and you always have to be kind of on the cutting edge of where people are thinking in storytelling. Uh, and I feel like that's something that, that comes with repetition, 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 and that has to be built into your daily life. It really does. You know, if you're going to be the weekend filmmaker, you're not going to get very far, very fast, you know? What haven't I asked you that you, uh, do you feel that you'd like to, to, um, talk about in terms of the, the context of um, moving forward in, in filmmaking, um, becoming a better creative leader, you know, carving out that lifestyle in a way that, that lets you support your creative and you know, financial positions and other things? Well, first off, I've done a lot of interviews and this is one of the most extensive. And I really appreciate these questions that you, you've given me, Brett, because I mean, these are these are great questions. I mean, these are things that I, I like when I read your, your initial email, I said, wow, this is these are these are good hard questions and and, it, the, and these are things that like people need to think about these are these are great topics i think um if i were to add anything to it I, I would just say that you know again it's about putting in little increments of work toward anything what again going back to the the, the idea of saving money or doing health or eating healthier you know you're not going to just wake up one day and say you know what i'm going to eat kale salads every single day nobody does that i mean that's that's not your human nature your human nature is is to do things you know, the, what makes you feel good and give, it makes you happy. And a lot, unfortunately, some, most of the good stuff for whatever reason just doesn't attract us sometimes, you know. I've learned to get up every day and exercise. Who likes to do that? But now I, I built it into my life. It's part of my, my daily routine. I do it and it doesn't bother me. And I feel like it's the same thing with filmmaking. It's the same thing with being creative. If you make a hundred excuses why you can't do something, then you, you know, you're done to your, your beat before you even start. So I feel that it's important for you to just do little incremental steps, you know, get up and write that book, take five minutes to write it and stop. Don't do any more. Stop. Write those five minutes. And then tomorrow you try to write seven minutes and then you try to write 10 minutes. And before you know it, within a month, you're writing an hour every single day. And think about how much book you can get done. If you're writing an hour every single day, you wake up one day and you've got 300 pages to your manuscript. So that's what I'm saying. So nothing happens overnight. In America, in the West, we want the quick button. That's what we want. We don't want to wait for anything. But that's not nature. That's not how things work in the world. So I've, I've learned as I've gotten older just to take it easy. If I want to learn something, I can learn it. If I need to master it, I can master it. But I also realize I'm not going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it incrementally over the course of a, a period of time. And it's okay. It's okay. What do you want to let the audience, the listeners and viewers uh, know about that you're working on that you're excited about? Uh, well, we have a movie called Darkest of Lies. It'll be out sometime this late spring, early summer. Uh, and uh, we have, you know, of course, uh, I, I'm working on some new filmmaking books. My last two filmmaking books are on Amazon. 
And, you know, we, we are a full service company. So if anybody needs services, they can contact us. <laughs> and we'll, we'll put some contact details about all of those things in the, in the show notes and stuff like that. So just to close up, what's the um, kind of one piece of like other credo you live by or one piece of advice that you always give people? I would say if I could tell my younger self something, it's, it, it gets easier. Just, just hang in there. It gets easier. You know, I know it doesn't seem like it sometimes when you're in the middle of whatever you're trying to accomplish, you feel defeated or it's like, yeah, it's just not happening fast enough, but it gets easier. Just keep putting in the work a little bit. You'll get there. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Head over to tlcpod.com or the Total Life Complete website to see the show notes and links from today's episode.